Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. I believe today you're not going to leave here the same way you came in the name of Jesus. It's impossible to brag on the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And talk about the magnificence of that power that was displayed on that third day when that body, that corpse that was dead and laid in a tomb to rot, sprang back to life. Which is the reason and hope for our faith and for what we stand for and believe in. And uh, that's not something I've just preached about. That's something that I have seen work in other people's lives. I don't I don't do crusades. I don't do pre, I don't preach in churches just to give people a set of uh, of 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 beliefs. I'm not here giving out tenets of faith. I preach the gospel and the foolishness of the message preached is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those that are the called, it is the power of God at work on their on their behalf. Um if you'll take a second before I get in it today to to share this broadcast, to click that share button if you're on Facebook, to share it on YouTube if you can, um, and get this this message out to as many people as possible. I feel like today is going to be like a, almost like an online crusade. That's why I played that that outreach at the beginning because I believe that uh, God can use any any type of uh, media. God can use any type of of way to get to people's hearts. God can use any method. We're not limiting God to one method. We're going to do, we have a, a crusade we're planning right now, out, outdoor, in-person, physical, live crusade in Saskatchewan. And uh, I think we pushed it to August because of, um, you know, what's going on and stuff. We pushed it, we've pushed it to August as the, for the time being. But uh, we're going to do that. However, I, I wanted to make today in honor of you know Easter weekend, the resurrection weekend, like almost like an online crusade, an online outreach. So if you have lost loved ones, you and everyone does, lost friends that are lost, relatives that are lost, people at work that might be lost, I would encourage you to share this broadcast. And I believe, and I'm trusting God that today is going to be uh, the broadcast with the most first-time decisions for Jesus Christ, most recommitments for Jesus Christ. I believe that today, I was just praying before, that today we're going to see multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3. I want to start by reading what, what Paul says in Philippians 3. Listen to this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, placing no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I, I more so. Paul starting to brag on uh, how far he had advanced in his own religion. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, 
that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through Jesus Christ in faith. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, I want you to pay special attention. Philippians 3.10. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to read that verse 10 again. That I might know him. How? By the power of his resurrection. There are many people in the church, in the body of Christ today, that sing about the resurrection. They talk about the resurrection. They could even quote you John 3.16 and other scriptures that describe uh, Jesus' coming and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They understand the, the story of the gospel. But many people do not live in light of that resurrection. They do not live in light of resurrection power living on the inside of them. That's why I'm doing this broadcast. Because I, I believe, I don't just believe Jesus Christ died and rose again. I don't just believe, I don't just hold that as a tenant of faith. I live not as though Christ was risen. I live in light of that fact that Christ has risen from the dead. Christianity is not based on faith. Christianity is accessed by faith. But Christianity is based on fact. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he told his disciples quite often throughout the, the Gospels, throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, before he ever even was arrested, he kept on reciting. He kept on reminding them that the day is coming where the men of this world, the chief priests, the scribes, and the religious leaders are going to arrest me, and they're going to put, they're going to crucify me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to beat me, and on, and they're going to crucify me. But he kept saying in prophecy, but on the third day, I will rise again. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. Jesus ends up dying. Now listen to this, Mark chapter, Mark chapter uh, 16. Mark 16 and verse 14. Jesus dies. The disciples end up going back into an upper room and just trying to figure things out. What are we going to do now, now that, he, now that he's dead? You know, he kept talking about his death. It actually happened. What are we supposed to do? It's like they forgot the part that he wasn't going to stay dead. Isn't it funny that Jesus rented the tomb? Jesus, the Bible, Bible says, borrowed a tomb. He, he dwelt in a tomb that was from Joseph Arimathea, a borrowed tomb. Why do you borrow something? Because you know you're not gonna need it, you're not gonna need it for much longer. Sometimes when you're gonna do a massive production, you borrow stage staging, you borrow lighting, you borrow a microphone, you borrow whatever. Why? Because you only need it for that one day, and afterwards there's no point investing in it because you're not gonna keep it long. Well, Jesus saw it like a good steward of money i'm not gonna buy my tomb i'm not gonna purchase a tomb i'll just borrow a tomb because on the third day he sprang back up back from the dead and left that tomb behind him jesus died but he left the tomb there's too many christians that are living as though he's still decaying and rotting in that tomb and as such they're being robbed of power robbed of blessing and robbed of what belongs to them now that christ is raised from the dead listen to this so the the disciples 
They gather around at a table. Verse 14, Mark 16, 14. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe that uh, those who had seen him after he had risen. And Jesus told them to go into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature. So Jesus walks into the room while they're sitting around trying to find out, how, what are we going to do now? You know, we, we really put our, we stuck our necks out for this guy. I've left my business. I've done everything so that I'd follow him. And uh, now we're kind of at a gridlock. Jesus, as they're in that conversation, walks through the wall. It's one of the benefits of having a resurrected uh, body. You can just walk through, uh, you know, objects and material objects and, physical objects he walks to the wall and he he rebukes them for their hardness of heart listen to this luke chapter 24 i'm going to read a lot of scripture today luke 24 verse 13 now behold two of them so jesus rises from the dead mary and mary end up uh, going to the tomb on that third day an angel appears to them saying why are you seeking the living amongst the dead this jesus is no longer dead he's risen go and go into galilee just like he told you well two men of them two of them men were traveling that same day to a village called emmaus which was seven miles from jerusalem and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you're having with one another as you walk and are sad? So Jesus draws near and sees them sad and sorrow filling their heart. Why was sorrow filling their heart? They were talking about the death and the burial of Christ. But they didn't have faith because their understanding was like out of place concerning the words that Jesus said, I will come back. I'm going to spring back to life. So as a result, because they didn't know about the resurrection, because they didn't fix their eyes and fixate their minds and their concentration on the resurrection, sorrow filled their heart. That's what Charles Spurgeon used to say. There's no form of depression that can't be eliminated Based, uh, through a, a, an encounter with the gospel. There's no form of depression that can't be eliminated and washed away through a raw encounter with the gospel. It's easy to stay depressed when you see Jesus just, you know, that's why the Catholics, they have him hanging on that cross. Then he's got this like, you know, dead death just in his face. He's just, he's dead. If you think of it, the cross was a place of defeat if the resurrection didn't happen. The cross becomes a place of victory because of the resurrection. So the Catholics, they have him hanging on a cross, just, you know, his head to the side. And then there's a lot of Pentecostals that live, and other denominations within Christianity that live as if he was still rotting in that tomb and sorrow fills their heart. But when you see, when you see through the scriptures, just like those, these two men are about to see, the greatest form of depression, the greatest form of anxiety leaves because you start to understand that because he lives, because death couldn't hold him down, because death, which is the greatest agent of the devil, death is like the devil's last card. Death is like the devil's uh, 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 strongest weapon. And the strongest weapon of hell that was formed against Jesus couldn't keep him down. And as such, every other one of the devil's weapons are futile and 
powerless in light of the power of God's resurrection. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. When you start to see the whole of Christianity, the crux of Christianity is the crucifixion, the resurrection and the resurrection of Christ. Listen to this. And one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, so Jesus tells him, why are you guys so sad? Why has sorrow filled your heart? One of them answers, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And you've not known these things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So he's like playing like ignorant, the ignorant card. And they said to Jesus, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they said we did not find his body and they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, Jesus replied, Oh, you foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is, for it is towards the evening, and the day is far spent. So he stayed with them. And it came to pass, as he sat down at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened up the scriptures to us? Their ignorance gave birth to sorrow filling their heart. When the moment their eyes were open to the power of resurrection, you can see their tune changed. And they said, man, didn't our hearts burn within us while he spoke with us along the way? And they returned, they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. With great joy. People stay bound because they're ignorant. People stay captive because of their lack of understanding. People stay in chains because they refuse to break free from the main chain which is ignorance to the power of God Ephesians chapter 1 let me let me let me read this Ephesians chapter 1 beginning with verse 15 if you're just joining me now please share this broadcast this is an an important broadcast people are going to get saved today people are going to be set free today people are going to be delivered today therefore Paul says after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that the eyes of your understanding would be open, flooded with light, another translation says, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory and the inheritance of the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Where? 
which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. The Bible says the greatest display of God's power was when God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand of authority. And Paul is praying to the for the Ephesians church. And he's saying, I'm not going to pray that you get healed. I'm not going to pray that you get delivered. I'm not going to lay hands on you for any of those things. Not that those things are wrong. But he's saying, I'm praying that God himself will open the eyes of your heart and the ignorance would vanish away so that you can see what is the surpassing greatness of God's power that is available to you today. There's no problem with laying hands on people. That's James chapter 5. There's no problem with, with uh, praying for people and keeping people in prayer. But ultimately, your deliverance, your day of salvation will come when the eyes of your understanding are open to see the surpassing greatness of God's power that was displayed at the cross when Christ spoiled principalities and powers and made a public show of them openly, having triumphed, opened them over them at the cross. Romans chapter 1, the Bible says God himself declared Jesus to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. God declared Jesus to be the Son of God by displaying his power when he raised him from the dead. That's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion you can take you can take their followers to the tomb of their founder. Only Christianity provides an empty tomb because we're not like everybody else. We're not a way amongst ways. We're not a truth mixed in with other truths. We are, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. Hallelujah. So I want to go through four points today as to why we can... Not only trust the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but what that resurrection now means for us. Why we should live differently. Why we shouldn't have our, our, our faces looking like we got baptized in pickle juice. We should carry joy. We should carry power to our neighborhoods. We should be the ones that when problems arise, they don't look everywhere but you. They go straight to you. The power of God that's given to the church enables us not to stay as a referral system we're not called to be a referral system when somebody needs help well i can refer you to a good psychologist when someone needs help with sickness or they need uh, you know they have pains in their body well i know a good physiotherapist that can help you out we're not called to refer people out elsewhere the power of christ that's why paul said that i might know the power of his resurrection when you get immersed and baptized in that same power remember it's not another spirit that raised christ jesus from the dead that we have now it's the same spirit that raised jesus from the dead now lives in us and enables us to live like christ here on the earth that when people come and are in sickness we can lay hands on them and see them recover when people come that are bound by demons we don't have to refer them to a mental institute we can use the mighty name of jesus and in doing so release Un unprecedented power with God to break them free from no matter how strong of a hold the devil has on them. That's what Christ wants for his body. That's why you've been drawn to this broadcast. God's not only going to set you free today. God's not only going to deliver you from the chains of destruction. God's not only going to lift you up 
out of that horrible pit that hell has designed for you to rot and die in. God's going to heal you, restore you, and then use you mightily. As this power comes in you, it's going to begin to flow through you that those around you will see that you're not like everybody else, that you are called by the name of God and carry real power with God. If you believe that, I want you to just shout amen in the comment section, hallelujah, and share this broadcast for me, helping me to get this word out to more people. The devil's going to rue the day. Rue the day he could have killed you, but he didn't. Rue the day when he took you. He, 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 he took your life as, you know, he won't do much for God, so you know what, I'll just leave him alone. He'll rue that day. He'll rue that day because of what God will accomplish through you. You know, you were born for such a time as this. I was born for such a time as this. We're not going out as cowards. We're not going out. The rapture's not going to happen. And, and the, God's coming to rescue a, a bleeding church. He's coming back for a strong church. He's coming back for a strong church. A strong church is the product of a strong body. Every member is going to fulfill their great destiny. And that includes you in the name of Jesus Christ. Number one, the resurrection is real. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a real historical event. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You ask most preachers what the gospel is, they don't even know. You ask most pastors what the gospel is, they'll give you an answer like, uh, you know, it's, it's God helping mankind out and, and it's, uh, it's God stretching out a helping hand towards hurting people. And that's not the gospel. Yes, that is a very vague statement in the gospel. But the gospel is that sin was in the human race. Sin as a poison began to erode us from within. Sin came when man, when man fell in the garden. And it tainted the perfection that God had created us with. And since then, every man and every woman that's been born has been born to sin, in sin, conceived in sin. We carry a, 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 a stain in our DNA. Our DNA is no longer perfect. There is an erosion. There's a corrosion of mankind since that event in the Garden of Eden when we were cast out. Then you see in Noah's days, God, the, the sin became so extravagant. God wanted to destroy the earth, but Noah found favor in the sight of God and he preserved. He preserved Noah and he preserved the human race. But sin is abhorrent to God. Sin is detestable to God. Sin is an abomination in the sight of God. The Bible says that the, only the pure in heart can stand in the sight of of a holy God. The Bible says very clearly that because of sin, death came and death reigned because of sin. Sin is not a normal part. That's why people say, that even people who don't even know the gospel, don't even know the God of the Bible, they know that there's something up with this world. They know things are wrong. They, you know, up to a certain point, a child has innocence, but then after that, that moment, 
you know, 12, 13 could be, could be later in life. But there's a moment where they start to see things differently. They start to see the depravity of the human race. They start to experience offense and hurt and harm and hor- horrors. They start to feel the pressure and burden of that sin beginning to, to invade their own lives. Problems where they saw no problems before. Kids at 10, 12 years old I'm hearing of developing anxiety in this last year. You know, that's not right. That's not the perfect order of God. God created man good. God created man very good. And in perfection, in the image of God, he created us. We weren't created to carry the burden of sin. We weren't created to get, carry sickness. We weren't created to have pain in our body. Why do you think we have near, uh, you know, we have um, re- receptors in our brain that when pain strikes, it, it, it's not pleasurable. Why do you think? Because God didn't create us to carry pain in our bodies. And so, since sin entered the world and the human race, those things have ravaged the human race since the dawn of time. And that's why Jesus, and there was no human blood that can atone for our sin. There was no blood of a goat or an oxen or an animal. No matter how innocent an animal was, none of those bloods could have redeemed us from our sin. The Bible says no man could at any time redeem his soul. The Bible says that uh, the redemption of our souls was too costly. There's no amount of money that you could have paid to redeem yourself from sin. There's no amount of connections you can have with other men that if you just get get around uh, enough men and do enough networking, maybe we'll be able to contact. No, there's no tower high enough that we can build our way back to God. There's no bridge that's big enough that we can bridge our our lives and relationship back with God. It took the blood of a sinless, spotless person. And that blood was in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why people, why did Jesus have to die? Because nobody else could have died and satisfied the wrath of God. The terms of God's justice was that blood had to be shed. The Bible says without the remission of sin, uh, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. So blood had to be shed. That's why Jesus shed his blood. That's not God. People say, well, God's a child abuser. Look what he did to his son. God's not a child abuser. The moment man sinned, God already had a plan. The Trinity got together. The spirit the son and the father and said we know man's gonna fall but because of that let's make a plan let's before the foundation of the earth let's make a plan that before they even fall we'll make a plan to get them back up on their feet that's what jesus came to do he we weren't redeemed by perishable items such as silver and gold or we weren't redeemed by religion or tradition we were redeemed by the spotless precious blood of a lamb without spot or wrinkle that's why john the baptist when he saw jesus for the very first time he looked to him and said behold behold the lamb of god that taketh away the sins of this world he was the perfect sacrificial substitutionary sacrifice for our sins that's the gospel and he died and then three days later he rose again and because he rose again this gospel still works that's why Paul in the face of death can say I'm not ashamed of this gospel I'm not ashamed of this gospel because in it is the power of God if death couldn't hold Jesus down then death could no longer hold you down if the chains of death couldn't keep Jesus in that that tomb the Bible even says they put a Roman 
officer around that tomb. The Jews put their own garrison of troops around that tomb. The Romans set us a Roman seal on that tomb. The devil made it so there was a massive rock rolled on that tomb. But all of those efforts, the devil himself, along with many demons, I'm sure were pressed against that tomb with their shoulders laid against it in an effort that if perhaps his prophecy were true, that he would rise again. At least we can keep him in that tomb. But on the third day, death lost its hold on him. The Bible says, oh grave, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? He rose and he's alive forevermore. The stone was rolled away. Hell had the biggest April Fool's stunt played against them ever before. Ever since that moment. In history. In history. Could you imagine Jesus walking out? April Fool's. (laughs) I wasn't going to stay there. And the Bible says if the devil had known what God was really accomplishing in Jesus Christ, he would have never done anything to affect him. But because he knew, because he didn't know, he tried to lay him on that cross, not knowing that every hammer that was laid into his hand was actually hammering in the final nails in his own coffin. Because Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, when John was on the island of Patmos, and the Bible says he heard a voice behind him, and he looked and he fell as one dead. Because his eyes were like a flame of fire. Jesus came the first time as a humbled servant. He came as the lamb to be slain. But he's no longer the lamb that, uh, that, that's slain. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the lion. He's the great victor. He is the conqueror over death, hell, and the grave. And he saw him. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He wasn't some like hippie hanging on a swing, going rocking back and forth with a bandana. And he's just playing the banjo and just singing tunes. No, with birds flying. You know, people have this like weird perspective of who God is. I like to carry a Bible image of what Jesus looks like. And the Bible says his eyes are like a flame of fire, meaning there's an intense piercing in his eyes. His face is like the sun shining in its brilliance. People ask me, is Jesus white? Is Jesus brown? Is Jesus, his face is like the sun shining in its brilliance. I don't even know what what that, I mean, just look at the sun. That's what his face looks like. The Bible says his hair is white as wool. His feet are like burnished bronze. And his voice is like the sound of many waters. Hallelujah. We don't serve a weak, defeated Jesus. We don't serve a broken Jesus that the Catholics like to keep in their houses on pictures where he's just looking like this, just a or sad or anxious not really knowing what's going on what awaits and what you know what's his future looks like so he's all anxious no that's not the picture of Jesus Jesus is the lion of Judah whose eyes are like a flame of fire and when John saw him he fell as one dead Jesus lifted him up and said I was dead but behold I live and now I hold the keys of death hell and the grave when man sinned we sowed we gave that key into into Satan's hand that's why Jesus had to go even into hell. Jesus had to go into the deepest of the deeps to find the devil's headquarters, to grab those keys right back into his own possession, crack the devil's head, have his skull come open because the Bible says in Genesis 3, Satan, you have bruised man's heel, but one will come from his seed that will crush your head. Jesus dealt a head crushing blow to the head of Satan. And the Bible says he arose on high, victorious over the devil. If the devil couldn't keep you when you believed on this gospel if he couldn't keep you in the headquarters because of what Christ did for you if the devil can keep you in the headquarter of sin then what business do you have staying in the surrounding suburbs of sickness of pain of sorrow of disease or anything else the devil Jesus didn't just 
uh, didn't just come out of the headquarter of sin and then stayed in the suburbs. No, he rose up on high, far above principalities and powers. And Ephesians 2 says, now when you believe the same way Christ came out of the headquarters of sin, the same way Christ rose triumphantly, triumphantly over... Um, triumphantly over over the devil in the same vein when you put your faith in Jesus you in Christ rose up from that place of sin that place of death and ascended on high and are now seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places the same place that's far above principalities so what business do you have staying down when the devil said when God has said I've set you up on high what business do you have staying sick when the Bible says I've set you far above any principality or power Hallelujah. The resurrection is real. You ask people what the, what the gospel is, they don't know. The Bible says here, he was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve and by over 500 other people that were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. There's people who have the swoon theory that Jesus didn't actually die, but he fainted. He fainted on that cross. Well, if that were true, if he did faint, then when that Roman put that spear and thrust it through his side, he would have died at that moment. And the Bible says throughout the books, the, the Gospels, uh, in the closing moments of Jesus' life, it constantly says, and he breathed his last. And Jesus died. And Jesus, he, 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 he in his last breath, said, into your, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus died. You know, if people can get you to believe Jesus didn't die, then the gospel's not true. That's what Muslims believe. They believe Jesus actually never died on that cross because it's not possible a prophet should be treated as, as such. But rather, he was, uh, he was substituted. That there was someone that looked like Jesus that hung on that cross, but Jesus never died on that cross. That he ended up getting, ascending on high like Elijah and like Enoch. He was not. He was just, he was just taken. But if that were the case, if Jesus didn't die on that wooden cross, then we're still under our, uh, in our sins. We're still under the curse of the law. Because the Bible says, cursed is he who hangs on the tree. And Christ has redeemed us by being made a curse for us on that tree. That's where the Mormons get it wrong. They believe Jesus was hung on a, well, other places too. But, uh, you know, a main point where they get it wrong is that they believe he was hung on a, on a metal pole, a metal beam. But that, the, that would totally throw away the message of the gospel. He had to hang on that cross. He had to die according to the scriptures. Number two theory that they have, and there's other theories too, but there's the hallucination theory that these 500 men that beheld him, that saw him, that were eyewitnesses, they actually were all hallucinating at once. I mean, if you've ever done drugs, hallucinogen drug, if you're six people in one room, you're not going to hallucinate the same things. So they have 500 people hallucinating the same exact thing. Even if they had got a bad batch of mushrooms or something, it would be impossible for 500 people to hallucinate the same, you know, trip. Impossible. So, you know, that's, that's garbage. It's just the devil trying to get people. I mean, right after he raised from the dead, the Jews came up with a conspiracy theory saying, just tell the people his disciples came and took the body and stole it. So the devil has, because he can't, you know, he can't, Provide a body in a tomb. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, the, all the devil would ever have to do to shut down Christianity is to provide a body. Provide a body. Show us a body. There is no body. So what does he have to do? He has to go other ways. He has to use deception. He has to use cunning trickery. But the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, 
We did not devise, cunningly devise fables when we were eyewitnesses of his glory. These aren't fables. These aren't theories. Jesus isn't a theoretical position we hold. Jesus isn't a theological statement. Jesus is not some philosophy or another worldview. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God who is alive today. I'll give you four evidences of his resurrection. Number one, I, I just read it. There was over 500 eyewitnesses. And if you count total eyewitnesses, there could be up to 614 eyewitnesses of Jesus' uh, body after he had risen from the dead. Acts chapter 1, let me read this to you. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also, listen to this, presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining the kingdom of God. He presented himself alive by many infallible proofs. You remember when Thomas, the doubter, when they said Jesus is alive because Peter and John had seen it and they came back reported, Thomas spoke up. He didn't just stay quiet. He'd have been better off just staying quiet. Well, I mean, let's just wait this out and see where this goes. He spoke up and said, for me to believe that, Unless I put my hand, my finger in the prince of his hand, and unless I put my hand in, the, in his own side, I will never believe. Well, they're gathered around. I don't know what they were doing that day. John 20 says they were in, the, in, a, in an upper room, fearful because of the Jews. And Jesus, again, walks through the wall and goes to Thomas and says, put your hand or your finger in the print of my hands. Put your hand in my side where the wound was. And see that I'm alive. For a ghost, a spirit, does not have flesh and blood like you see me, you see me have. And then not only that, Jesus in that hour asked them for something to eat. A spirit doesn't need food. A spirit can't even eat. So to prove to him that I'm not, I don't have, this is not a spiritual resurrection. Jesus didn't rise spiritually from the dead. Jesus rose. There's a physical resurrection. And he's not coming back spiritually. He's coming back physically with hands, with feet, with flesh and blood. And he said, put your hand, fingers in my hands and put your hand in my side and don't be disbelieving or don't be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas said, I believe. Jesus looked at him in that same minute and said, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe even though they've never seen. Hallelujah. Number two. Quality of witnesses that the resurrection produced. These guys didn't, weren't just witnesses uh, for a little while. And then like 10 years later, they, a new phase, a new trend came along and they, they moved on to something else. The, most of the 11 out of 12 apostles died very horrible deaths. You look at Peter, he was crucified upside down. Had he just said, I recant my faith, I don't believe in Jesus. They would have let him go. He would have lived a very normal life. Thomas, the one who who is doubting Thomas, ends up going to India. And the reason there's a church in India today is because of the foundation he laid 2,000 years ago. And he was, I think he was beaten by a fuller's club and thrown over a cliff. I have a book behind me called John Fox's Book of Martyrs that shows you every martyrdom that's recorded from 
Stephen, the first martyr, to Antipas in Revelations, up until today, in, in recent days. I think up until like 1950 or something like that, 1970. So the, the witness that it produced was quality witnesses. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and you will receive power after that that I've uh, poured out the Holy Ghost on you to become effective witnesses. That word witness comes from the root word of, in Greek, martus, which is the word we get for martyrs. So the, the resurrection produced martyrs, people that were willing to die for their faith. It's easy to get, you know, for someone to hold a position. Even if it's a true position, it's easy to get them to hold that position um, uh, under light threats. But you bring a heavy threat like death, like imprisonment, like your family. You look in North Korea today, just like a couple of years ago. They discovered about 80 Christians that had Bibles in like their nightstand hidden away. And they raided their homes. They brought every Christian before a, a, a stadium. And they machine gunned them publicly on like their own CNN to show any other Christian, to intimidate them. That we're coming for you and this will be your end if you don't, if you don't give it up. Because any, any area that communism seeks to, to uh, establish itself, the first thing that communism has to do is take out Christianity has to rid it of Christianity or else communism can never set up. Because um, communism seeks to make people to believe gov government is God, but Christians believe that their source is from God, Elohim, the most high God, Jesus Christ. So what did they do? They try and make a public example of them, putting them away publicly to discourage others and get them to recant their faith. But you notice, they never, they never recanted. You look at the way John, John, was boiled in, in oil. And then he didn't die supernaturally. God preserved him because he still had the book of Revelation, right? So they ship him off to the island called Patmos. They couldn't kill him. But regardless, he was ready to be boiled in oil. That in itself is, a, is an evidence to the resurrection. Number three, you look at the infallible proof in John chapter 21. Jesus presents himself alive. They're fishing just like in Luke 5, when Peter encountered Christ for the first time, after Jesus died, and he hadn't seen his resurrected body, they're now fishing. They went back to their roots. They went back to their business. Well, at least let's go back to what we used to know, what we used to do, and that's what happens. People go through a rough time in their Christianity. They don't feel God's presence, and immediately they resort to backsliding and going back to what they knew. Peter did the same thing. But then they, they suffered all night, not catching one fish. And Jesus, who was hidden in his face, hidden his figure to them, appears on the sand, on the seashore, and says, children, have you any fish? Did you catch anything? No. Let your net down on the right side of the boat. When they did so, they caught 153 large fish. They couldn't even wheel in the catch of fish. They had to, catch, they had to get other, other partners, other boats to help them bring in that large number of fish. Hallelujah. And Peter immediately said, that's Jesus. So you can see the proofs never stop. John, 20, John 21 finishes off by saying, if we were to count all the miracles Jesus did during his life and even after his resurrection, I suppose the world itself could not even contain the books that would be written. And number four, proof of his resurrection is the continual testimonies that occur even until today. I'm a result of the resurrection power of Christ hitting my body. I was delivered of OCD. I felt the electricity of heaven running through my body. And I got up and I haven't had a bout with OCD, an incurable disease in the eyes of men by one encounter. 
That's why I said before, Paul said that you might know him in the power of his resurrection. When I knew Christ in the power of his resurrection, that demonic stronghold couldn't keep up with the power of God surging through my body. I, I, I can tell you, and this leads me to... This leads me to point two, which I'll get in it. Before I do, before I go into point two of, of my sermon or my message today, I want to read you three quotes that are not from Christian historians or Christian uh, theologians. These are three quotes from historians, secular historians. Listen to this. E.M. Blakelock. I claim, so this is secular history. This is secular historians. These are, these are people, I think Ian Blakelock was a Christian, but Clark Pinnock, uh, that I'm about, another quote that I'm going to read from, from him, he was not a Christian. He was a secular uh, PhD holder. I think he was at McMasterville University. And so let me read these quotes. Number one quote, Ian Blakelock says, I claim to be a historian. And this guy was at Auckland University. He wasn't at like, you know, some uh, community college studying. He was at a very renowned university. Listen to what he said. I claim to be a historian. My approach to classics is historical, and I tell you that the evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is better authenticated than most of the facts of ancient history. There is 10 times more proof Jesus rose from the dead than there is of Julius Caesar ever having existed. There's 10 times more proof, manuscripts, secular and biblical, historical evidence, like ecclesiastical history and secular history, meaning church history and secular history. There's 10 times more documentation provided that proves his resurrection than that Julius Caesar ever even existed. And there's not one college on earth that contests the existence of Julius Caesar. Number two quote, Clark Pinnock, McMasterville University. There exists, this guy was not a Christian. There exists no document from the ancient world witnessed by so excellent historical testimonies as the, as, uh, the resurrection of Christ. He goes on to say skepticism regarding the historical credentials of Christianity is based on irrational bias. So the reason why I'm going through this is because I know there's some of you who went to secular college. There's some of you who've gone to a liberal university and they almost mock you for being a Christian. It's, it's more laughable to not believe in the resurrection than it is to believe in the resurrection. It requires more faith to believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead given the, the, the evidence and testimonies of history than, there, uh, than there, there would be required faith to believe that he stayed dead. It's harder to believe that Jesus is still dead than it is to believe that he rose from the dead. So anytime professors like to mock at you and, and almost hold you like a, they almost put you on the stand, put you on the spot. Do you really believe all that, that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Paul wrote in, a, well, they wrote Luke giving a, a documentation of Paul's life in the book of Acts. He writes, when Paul was uh, replying to Agrippa, he said, is it so? Is it, should it be thought indescribable? Should it be thought incredible or ridiculous that God should raise the dead? 
F.F. Bruce said the following, if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, the authentic, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. So if the New Testament was a... Given the amount of evidence, given the amount of manuscripts, given the amount of historical and church history backing this, this resurrection, if it were a secular point that it were trying to prove, if the amount of evidence were given to some secular history that didn't talk about God, didn't talk about anything controversial or require a change in man, if it was proven true, that's, that, that fact would be considered beyond all doubt. So number one, the resurrection is real because history can prove it. Archaeological findings prove it. You go and visit Jerusalem today. There is a tomb called the Garden Tomb that says, He is risen. He is risen. There's three tombs they believe Jesus was uh, laid in. Catholics believe it's one place. Protestants believe it's another place. And then there's some... Archaeologist named Gordon who believes it's in a third place. All three of them are empty. All three tombs are empty. Because Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's not dead. He is alive. And he's redeemed our souls as such from the power of the grave. Number two, the resurrection separates Christianity from any other religion. I said it before. Every other, other religious founder... You can locate their tombs. Buddha is in one place. Mohammed is in Mecca in Saudi Arabia. You can go and visit where his bones lay to this day. But you go and visit Jerusalem, there's no, there is no body. 1 Corinthians 15, I, I, I didn't finish the, the chapter, but if you read on, the Bible says that if Christ, Paul was saying if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we are of utmost to be pitied. Of all men, to, most to be pitied. If Christ is dead, we're still in our sins. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we're, we are charlatans. We're liars. We're deceptive agents of hell telling people that he did. We're heretics. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then Christ himself, Jesus himself, was a lunatic, a maniac, or a patho pathological liar. Luke 7. You want to know? People, you go to like a religion course, in, a sec in, in college or in some sort of liberal university. And they'll just lump Christianity in with every other religion. When all of the other, the other religions do not claim to have a, uh, a resurrection. They don't claim the ludicrous claims of the Bible. The Bible has the most out there claims of any religious textbook. Because if they were to write, if Muhammad would have written things like that, then you'd have to back it up with proof. Christianity is the only, the only religion that backs up its message with, with proof. Jesus, when they came, John the Baptist was in jail, he sent two of his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the coming one or should we look for another? Jesus, the Bible says, let me read it to you, Luke chapter 7. Luke 7. I hope this is helping you today. If you're just tuning in, tuning in now, please help me by sharing this broadcast. Luke 7, John the Baptist sent two of his disciples. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus said, go and tell John the things which you have seen and heard. 
So Jesus didn't sit them down and say, here, let me show you some Old Testament prophecies and I'm going to prove, you know, I was born in Bethlehem. Um, the Bible says in uh, one of the Old Testament prophets that the uh, Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. I was, I grew up for a little time in Egypt. The Bible says that this Messiah would spend time in Egypt. I did that. He didn't try and prove himself that way. The Bible says in that very hour, he healed many of infirmities, afflictions, and cast out evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the gospel is being preached to the poor. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Paul, the reason why he had such success in his ministry was because he said, In mighty signs and wonders, I have fully preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. R.W. Schombach was holding a crusade in India once. And... Um, he had rented out a big stadium. And not a lot of people came night one. 2,000 people in a stadium that sat 15,000 is not much. And so he starts to preach and uh, preach the gospel, preach the resurrection power of Christ. And the Lord gives him a plan. Says, you see that woman in the first row? She's blind. Call her up. Calls her up. Stands up on the stage. And the Lord says to R.W. Shambuck, I want you to pray in the name of Muhammad. Because there were many uh, Muslims there that night. And so he prays over her, her, her blind eyes in the name of Muhammad, and nothing happened, nothing changed. Then the Lord said, now pray in the name of their other gods. So he prayed in one of the names of their, you know, 300 million Hindu gods, and nothing happened. Then the Lord spoke to him and said, now pray in the name of Jesus. He grabbed her face, put his hands on her eyes, and said, now in the name that is above every other name, in the name of Jesus, I command these eyes to open. When, she, when he did that, she, without any help, ripped her, his hands off her and says, I can see, I can see in, in her Hindu, Hindu uh, dialect. The translator said, uh, R.W. Shambach asked the translator, what is she saying? Translator replied, she's saying that she can see. The crowd erupts in praise. Excuse me. The crowd erupts in praise and the next night the stadium's packed. They go like, I don't know how many weeks, Pack, mighty revival hit that nation of India. Because Christianity is not a way amongst ways. Jesus didn't come as a God amongst gods. He didn't come and he didn't just come as some religious teacher showing you a way, a set of ways and principles by which we should live by. Buddha came and set some principles that will give you inner peace if you follow these. Jesus didn't say, I am come to give you peace. Jesus said, I am peace, the prince of peace. Muhammad said, I think I found the way to God. Jesus said, I am the way to God. Krishna said, I think I found the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And he backed up those claims with power. You look at it in the book of Acts. When Jesus left, before he left, he didn't say, now that, now that I'm going, you go out and, uh, you know, you memorize a, a really eloquent and articulate way to, to, to uh, convey this gospel message to others. And through your eloquence of speech, people are going to know I'm with you. He didn't say that. Now that I'm going, go and preach this gospel. As you go, I'm equipping you with resurrection power in my name. As you speak my name, as you go in my name, 
You will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. You will cast out devils. You will take up deadly serpents and they will not harm you. And the disciples, Mark 16, 20, went everywhere preaching in his name, the Lord working with them. With signs accompanied. Hallelujah. I mean, I can tell you of testimony after testimony. Paul said, I didn't come with eloquent speech or of persuasive speech of man's wisdom. I came in a demonstration of the Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. When I preached, that Spirit came on the scene. That the same power that was manifest in the resurrection of Christ is manifest in my crusades. Raising people up out of, out of sorrow. Raising people up out of the horrible pit and putting them on a rock to stay. There was a lady in my Hope Fest that I showed from Laval at the beginning of this broadcast. She had cancer, metastatic cancer of the, of the stomach spreading around her body. She had excruciating pain that night. She, came because, she was a Jewish lady that came, was invited by one of the workers, the volunteers of the event. She hears the message preached and comes up at the end to give her, to give her life to Jesus Christ. She comes up, she prays the prayer of salvation with me, and uh, afterwards, you know, anytime I do a crusade, I don't just introduce them to Jesus, Savior from sin. I introduce them to Jesus, Savior from sickness and disease. The Bible says that no doubt you know Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. The message of the cross, the message of the gospel, isn't just I'm going to give you a passport to heaven. The message of the gospel is God brought heaven down to you on this earth so you can take a first fruit, you can taste and see of the ultimate blessing that we'll receive in heaven here on this earth you can be set free from sin and when you're set free from sin which is the master of sickness the master of sorrow everything else cheaply bows out of your life so i tell i tell i told everyone that night i want you to take your hand now and put it wherever you're sick wherever there's pain and in faith i'm going to pray and i did what tl osborne used to do a prayer of mass deliverance and i began to pray every sickness in your body every disease represented here tonight every trace every symptom of of hell that is lingering in their bodies from this moment out I, I i break that hold of hell over their bodies and i command them to be healed i command the healing flow of heaven the virtue of the cross to flow through their bodies eliminating every substance of addiction every substance of sickness and i prayed that prayer very simple prayer and um I can see she has her hand on her neck and she begins to cry and tears are streaming down her face. So I call her up after. I say, what happened to you? And she said, I, she tells her story. I had metastatic cancer of the, of the stomach and uh, doctors gave me five months to live. And uh, I'm actually an experimental drug program right now with five other people and they're saying we're not going to live more than five months so they're like you know just at least try test you have nothing to lose you're dying in five months might as well try these drugs hopefully it'll turn things around for you well that night she said though i felt as you were praying a fire just run through my body run through my neck and i came with excruciating pain all through it's like i i, I couldn't be alleviated there was no relief from it but Tonight, as you prayed, I felt a heat come over me, and I don't have any pain right now. Well, that's nice. I went back to the, to the church that I plugged people in that, to that, from that crusade. I went back a year later. She was given five months to live. A year later, she's still healthy. A year later, she's back at work. No cancer in her body. No more cancer. I went back a year after, and the 
symptoms never came back. I tell you, this power is real. This power is, this isn't a crutch for us to lean on. This isn't us just trying to get through life and believing in fairy tales and fables just to help us through life. But no, this power is power to set men free. That's why David said, I would have lost at heart had I not believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord while I'm yet in the land of the living. Number two, the resurrection separates Christianity from every other religion on this earth. Number three, the resurrection of Christ marked the end of your earthly struggles. Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. I don't understand how you can hear, you can tell a story like that and viewership go down. That doesn't make any sense to me. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or don't you know that many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the power of uh, from, the, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, now we should walk in newness of life. The Bible says, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Everything becomes new. When Jesus hung on that cross, he spoke those words. It is finished. Had he died and stayed dead, those words wouldn't have mattered. But the fact is that he rose again three days later so that when he said it is finished, he not only declared things to be the, the, the horror, the torment, the torture of hell towards humanity to be finished, he now is the enforcer of this new covenant that ends every struggle with hell. Stop thinking you have to tolerate the devil's crap in your life anymore. Stop thinking that, uh, you know, certain things happen to you and it's just another, you know, we all have our struggles. No, the struggle is not real. The struggle is over because Jesus took upon himself the struggles of this life. He took upon himself the source of every struggle in life, which is sin. Hebrews 2.14, inasmuch as the children partook of flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might put to death, the, uh, he might destroy him, sorry, who had the power of death, that is the devil. The resurrection marked the destruction of Satan and his forces and incapacitated him from ever having any influence in your life from this moment onward. The resurrection is not something we just cling to in the hope that Christ will come back again. The resurrection released a power towards you and I that put an end. The Bible says the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. Not to get you through the devil slapping you around. Monday through Friday, hoping you, get, you make it till Sunday so you can get in church. No, you want to know the good thing about the resurrection? That power that was released in that resurrection? We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go anywhere to have an encounter with it. That resurrection power lives in you, and that resurrection power lives in me. 
The Bible says, now unto him who's able to do far more abundantly all that you can ask, think, or imagine according to that power that is at work in you. So, that being said, there should come in you today. If you see your children being molested by hell, you see your kids being harassed, you see your, your, your own husband battered by anxiety, there should come in you. I'm not anointed to tolerate. I'm anointed by the Spirit of God to break those things off those, the loved ones around me. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now gives me a quickening power, not only to quicken my mortal body, but everyone I touch receives that quickening touch. I was in Shadowgate, Quebec. A lady comes to me who had um, uh, glaucoma, I think it was, and she had a, a tumor in her stomach. And she came up to me at the beginning of the meeting. She just touched my hand, grabbed my hand, and we, I shook her hand, and I said, uh, nice to see you. God bless you, whatever. She comes up to me Thursday and says, you might be wondering why I haven't come up for prayer any of these nights um, with that glaucoma and stuff. The moment, when I, the moment I touched you, something hit my body, and I felt, I felt that I was whole and healed in my body. But I wanted to make sure. So she went and, you know, she had a doctor's checkup. Check up. She no longer had any problems in her eyesight. And the tumor, she, she couldn't, she was able to feel it in her, in her like abdomen. Abdomen. I don't know if it was her stomach or in her abdominal area. But she couldn't feel it any longer. And she said, I, the moment I touched you, there was something that flowed in me. You want to know why that happened? It's not because I, I see myself. It's not because I'm something different in the eyes of God. It's not because God's especially anointed me. It's because I see myself as one who carries resurrection power. I see myself as a conduit of that electricity that's being transmitted from heaven. That whoever I touch, Lord, I know on whatsoever my hand puts, uh, touches shall be blessed. And when the blessing comes, everything that represents the curse has to leave. Sickness is represented by the curse. Sorrow is represented by the curse. Heaviness is represented by the curse. Poverty is represented by the curse. Distress of spirits represented by the curse. Anything I touch, the blessing invades and the cursing bows out because I have resurrection power. That's why they were bringing handkerchiefs and aprons from Paul's body to those that were sick and demon possessed. And the demons left them and the sicknesses left them. Why do you think? Because Jesus said, John baptized with water unto repentance. But I've come to baptize you in this power. Baptize, not like the Catholics do it. Sprinkle a little holy water on your head. John didn't baptize like that. John baptized by immersion. Jesus said, I'm not going to baptize you by, with the Holy Ghost by sprinkling a little water on your forehead. I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost through immersion. I've been dipped. I've been immersed. I have been inundated by Holy Ghost power by reason of this resurrection I've connected to the power source of God and as such handkerchief everything I touch is anointed everything I touch my hands are registered weapons now if there's sickness in any man's body when I lay my hands on them that sickness can't tolerate or stand the force of the anointing flowing through me that leads me to point four the resurrection power dwells in you Resurrection power dwells in you.
We're not trying to go to Jerusalem so we can get some holy water. We can get water from the River Jordan where Jesus walked on. I don't care about the River Jordan where Jesus walked on. Ultimately, what I care about is the power that it's no longer I who lives, but now Christ lives in me. Would you rather take the water where Jesus walked on, or would you rather believe the, God, the Bible today to see that God now lives in you, that Christ now lives in you, the hope of glory? Know ye not that Jesus... Jesus the Christ now lives in you. I'm the residential address of the resurrection power of God here on the earth. And you got to see yourself and carry yourself as such. Elisha, when Naaman um, was sick with leprosy and his servant said, there's a prophet in Israel, go and help, go and help, uh, seek help from him. So he writes up. The, 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 the king of Assyria writes up a letter to the king of Israel and says, heal my servant Naaman. I'm sending him to you. The king of Israel, what did he do? Just like most Christians today. What am I supposed to do? Can you, keep, can you please pray, pray for me that I get healed? Well, I won't pray that you get healed. I'll just give you, I'll pray that God sustains you in all this. Pretty much you're saying, what am I supposed to do? You've declared through that response that you don't believe you have any power to help people. What did, what did the, king of Assyria, the king of Israel do when he heard that? He ripped his clothes and said, what am I, God, to help people like that? You know what Elisha did? Elisha had another spirit. Elisha didn't think the same way. Elisha said, hey, why are you troubling yourself? Why are you ripping your clothes, causing a scene? Bring him to me. I've got power to help him. And when he came, that Naaman that was a leper on his way to death, death was reversed, and he sprang back to life, his leprosy. His leprosy left his body, and he was made whole of that affliction. Paul, uh, Peter and John, on the way to the hour of prayer, there's a man there that's lame from his mother's womb, whom they used to lay daily at the gate called Beautiful, whom when they saw Peter and John passing by, laid his hand out, expecting to receive something from them. And the scripture says, Peter and John looked on them and said, silver and gold we don't have, meaning money's not going to solve your problem, but such as we do have, such as we do have. You have to see yourself as one carrying this power today. I don't have, there's things you have to pray for. But when someone comes and asks you to pray for them to be healed in their body, you don't have to pray to God to heal them. Jesus already said, as you go, heal the sick. As you go, lay hands on the sick. I'm giving you power and authority. Not to pray to God. I'm giving you power and authority to deal with the situation ahead. To use my name and whatever you speak in my name, it shall be enforced by me in heaven. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus Christ, raise up and walk. He raised them up by his hand and the man's ankle bones and feet and legs were strengthened. And they began to crowd around when they saw the man that was lame healed. And they said, man... You know, they started to see Peter and John as some specially anointed vessels. And if Peter and John were some twisted ministers today, they would have said, if you sow a seed today of $1,500, I tell you this same power. Be no, what did they say? Why look on us as though by our own righteousness or godliness we've made this man to walk? No, it's through the power of that name. Yea, the power, the faith which comes through that name has made this man strong whom you now see and know. 
Some of you are like Moses. You're facing a red sea today. And you're crying out to God, Lord, part this sea. But God's crying back out to you and saying, why are you looking up to me for this? I've already given you a rod in your hand with which you can do signs and wonders. Use the rod. Use my name. Use this resurrection. Release that resurrection power in the direction you need it to go in. And the sea will split. And the mountain will fall. And the walls will come crumbling down. Hallelujah. I see that resurrection power quickening your mortal body. Doctors gave up on you. Physicians and specialists. People in white coats and labs have made you to get even more discouraged as they said there's nothing we can do but with man it's impossible but that resurrection life if John 11 describing the story of Lazarus if Jesus when he said I am the resurrection and the life and when he called forth the name of Lazarus the one who was called dead for over four days he was dead he didn't need healing in his pancreas he didn't need healing in his kidney he needed resurrection power if the resurrection quickening touch of the Holy Ghost can raise someone from the dead then what do you think a defected pancreas is to him what do you think a failing kidney is to him what do you think a tumor in your mind a brain is to him what do you think that blood disease and cell disorder is to him sickle cell anemia if the resurrection power of Christ has authority to break the hold of death then which death is the strongest agent of hell sickness is far less powerful than death itself if death can't stop it then how much weaker do you suppose every one of those sickness some people love to over glorify their sickness and under magnify their God but like David begin to magnify God today because that sickness is leaving your body as it comes in contact with the electricity of heaven in Jesus name hallelujah 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 Acts 5, they were laying people, just perhaps the shadow of Peter passing by would heal them. I'm, I, man, you got to see yourself as such. I am flood, I, I carry, I smell like resurrection power to the devil. Every time I walk into a place, the devil sniffs me out and he reminds him, of his ultimate defeat at Calvary and says, There's, let, let me just pack my bags. You don't even have to say the name. I'll, I'll pack my bags and leave. People, I, I get people that message me all the time. I need deliverance from this. I need deliverance from that. I need to, and it pains me because I, I know they actually do need deliverance from these things. But your deliverance isn't going to be because I ship you, you know, some uh, special anointing oil. Your deliverance is in your understanding of what I just spoke of today. You can either, it's like those four lepers in Samaria in 1 Kings chapter 7, 2 Kings chapter 7. They said, why sit we here until we die? Some of you are sitting around waiting for God to do something when God's done it all already. And you're sitting here and you're going to sit there needing deliverance to the day you die. Choose today to rise up 
in this truth. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Why do you think I love this Bible? Why do you think I study this Bible? Why do you think I feed on its truths? Why do you think when I speak and open up my mouth, it's scripture after scripture? The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, because the power is in his word. He upholds all things by the word of his power. The Bible says it's the word of God that's quick and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. He sent forth his word and it delivered them and healed them and delivered them from all their trouble. The Bible says he sent his word to Jacob and it lighted on Israel. That's all you need is an encounter with this word today. I pray let the entrance of this word come into your hearts and bring light and break you free from the strongholds of darkness in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Christ, the Bible is very clear. Unless a man be born again, he can never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Bible is very clear that Jesus said that uh, I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Jesus didn't come to break you down. Jesus didn't come to add a burden on your life. Jesus came. He said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden. I've come to give you rest. The rest you're looking for is not in sin. The rest you're looking for is not in addiction. The rest you're looking for is not in drugs or alcohol. The rest you're looking for is not in women or fame or money. You look at some of the most famous people. They're the most messed up people ever. You have people... That, that um, I think Jim Carrey said it. He said he thought that if he was just a millionaire, he would have ultimately achieved happiness. But he's, in, in an interview I saw, he actually said, if you're looking to, to become rich, to achieve happiness, let me spoil your party right now. It's not going to work because it's not in money. Your peace is not in money. Your peace is not in power. Your peace is not in, 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 uh, in gaining a celebrity status and fame. Your peace is in knowing him and in the power of his resurrection. Paul said it. I read it at the beginning of the broadcast. All the things that were gained to me is nothing. It's considered trash. It's considered rubbish in comparison to the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come. He that comes to me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, he'll lose it. If you're trying to scurry around saving and salvaging life, trying to keep yourself together, you're not going to succeed. You're trying to put water into a broken cistern, a broken holy uh, basket, a basket filled with holes. Today, put your life in the hands of God who said, if you'll trust in me, you'll never be disappointed. If you'll put your faith in me, you'll never be put to shame. If you'll put your faith in me, I'll never lead you backwards. If you'll trust in me, if you'll let me have control of your life, it will be a life of glory to glory. You'll never take a step down. When you reach up into the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, he'll always lift you up. He'll always push you forward. He'll always bring you into places of, of, of abundance. Hallelujah. Give your life to Jesus today. Pray this with me from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, on this Easter week, I come to you in recognition of what you've done for me. I refuse to live on the way I've lived to this moment. Today, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he is Lord of my life. I will not be the same. I will not quit. I believe 
that you who begins a good work in me today will complete it. I receive you as Savior from my sin. I receive you as Savior from sickness and disease. I receive my total deliverance through this gospel. And I thank you that I will not be put to shame. Fill me with your spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. Let everything become new from this point onward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would love for you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up, I just renovated our website. Our website's brand new. I want you to click, I just got saved, fill in. Fill in the, uh, the, the form. I want to I wanna help you out. I have a gift for you. I'm going to help you out in this new life, in this new uh, adventure with Christ. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.